0: Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Actual Fluency podcast. My name is Chris Braulham, and in case you haven't tuned in before, I am the host and founder of Actual Fluency. It's been a while uh, for the regular listeners out there. I know that it's been a while since a new episode was released. Obviously it's been a very interesting time for the world, and I'm not going to be hopping on too much about COVID or pandemics or lockdowns or anything, but I still think I owe you a bit of an explanation for this past nine months or so that we haven't seen any new episodes, or it might even be longer than that, actually. But uh, the reason was that I moved to a new country. I started taking on clients for marketing consulting, and actual fluency has started to produce more written content. We've had uh, some great writers contribute. And, you know, we're always looking for new talent to join the team. So if you're a freelance writer who would like to uh, contribute with articles for actual fluency, reviews of language software, any kind of interesting materials, uh, definitely uh, reach out to me and we can can have a talk from there. But um, so moving countries, you know, changing the company structure, uh, moved the company to a different country as well. Uh, setting up all the admin, setting up all my taxes, um, get, finding an apartment, furnishing it, all, all this stuff just overwhelmed me so much. But to kind of add, in, and by the way, this would have overwhelmed me probably without the the whole pandemic stuff, which was obviously also a pain because uh, we had a three-month lockdown in the beginning of the year here in Portugal. And that wouldn't have been so bad. You know, I'm not too... Uh, un- you know, I, I don't mind being alone, and I, I definitely don't mind being inside. That's that's totally comfortable for me, but uh, unfortunately, the restaurant downstairs decided to do a complete renovation uh, at the same time, and it was incredibly noisy. Uh, you know, imagine people drilling straight into your floor with the biggest drill you could imagine for basically three months straight. So I didn't feel very good. I didn't sleep very well. Uh, I think I also had some not full-blown PTSD, but I definitely had some time after when it had gone quiet again that I also felt pretty bad. But at the end of the day, I'm uh, alive and well, and I don't want to make it seem like my sort of minor problems here are anything in relation to, obviously, what people have suffered across the world, losing family members, uh, losing jobs, and all that uh, unfortunate That happens, so I'm back and I feel a lot better now. Uh, That's the other thing, you know. I I I talk about mental health on the podcast occasionally, and I can definitely say with certainty that my mental health did take a bit of a plummet in the beginning of the year. Um, But um, I think a lot of people had a similar experience, and I know there are countries out there at the time of this recording that are still suffering from lockdown. So I uh, I definitely. Sympathize a lot with you, um, but anyway, the podcast is back. Um, I wanted to do it for a long time, but like I said, just didn't could really grasp all the things I had to do, so it had to go for a while. Um, and I'm sorry about that. I, um, you know, I wanted to keep going and, and bring you regular content, but now we're back. And w- one exciting upgrade that I'm going to do is that. You know, video has come so far. Uh, video podcasts are really popular now, and people like Joe Rogan has really uh, popularized the format. And I thought, you know, why don't we do video for actual fluency podcasts? So I, uh, I'm not sure we're going to do weekly again as we used to back in the day. Those who've been listening for a while, um, but um, we might uh, we might be producing some higher quality ones, and uh, you'll be able to see the face of me and, and the interviewee, so that should be fun and exciting, and I'm not entirely sure when that's going to start either, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to build a system for, for the whole process, and I'm also looking for someone who can edit the podcast, it's very basic editing, it's, it's not like every minute by minute, but uh, more like stitching audio files together and adding intros and outros and maybe running a quick um, noise filter on it. Uh, it shouldn't take long per episode and then I'll upload it to the podcast platform I'll pl- upload it to wordpress and, and that's pretty much it so if you're interested in that send me an email chris at actualfluency.com and uh, let's talk you know i'm always looking to work with people who can help make my life easier and uh, hopefully grow within the company and uh, as the company grows these uh, freelance positions like the writers and the editors could grow as well so that's very exciting and um, another thing that also has suffered a little bit this year is obviously my portuguese studies you know portugal is my new home and it's my permanent residence and uh, i definitely wanted to put more energy into portuguese but so far it's been extremely uh, shallow again combined with my poor uh, poor feeling and uh, just the amount of stuff that i had to worry about I just didn't really do much and it didn't really bother me too much because we are in a very special situation here in the world and it's okay sometimes to give yourself a break and not punish yourself for not doing something that you know you want to be doing so i've been mostly just paying attention to people speaking and watching the occasional youtube video and looking at subtitles on on the television and you know it, it it's a very similar language to a lot of vocabulary that i have already so it will be a lot easier to learn but i definitely need to get into a routine with some be- weekly lessons with a tutor uh, maybe get back to uh, this program i found that has only european portuguese uh, i think it's called talk in portuguese but uh, um or practice portuguese I, <laughs> f- I forgot it out of the at the top of my head now but um yeah just get back on that and Hopefully, make some good progress in the last few months here of the year. But um, so far, so good. So um, that was my little life update. Today, we're listening to one of the last uh, audio-only episodes that I recorded a long time ago. And I have to make an official apology to the guest who came on. Obviously, I, uh, you know, uh, she gave her time to come and talk to us here on the podcast and I just kind of never did anything with the recording. I felt uh, extremely uh, guilty about that. So I do apologize to Jen who's on the show today. And um, in the show we talk about a lot of school-related language learning. So uh, uh, the guest today is Jennifer Degenhardt. She's a, a Spanish teacher and she also writes Language learning books for children and students who, uh, with a lot of diversity in them. So they have different char- characters with you know, different ethnic backgrounds and different, you know, all kinds of uh, diverse subjects uh, included, which is not found in typical uh, uh, language learning books in school today, uh, which is uh, a problem that we have mentioned on the podcast before. So we talk a little bit about the importance of language learning in schools about her work as a as a as a book author for lang for learning materials and how she incorporates them into her uh, classroom and we also talk a little bit about her one-year trip to latin america and how much spanish she was able to learn and what her approach was to get the most out of that trip so i hope you enjoy this last audio actual fluency podcast and uh, like i said i'm sorry i've been gone for so long i uh i i it's it's just been a, a weird year and or i should say weird two years even so you know i hope you will join me again and listen as i publish these new episodes and uh, as always if you have any suggestions for people who you'd like to see on the show go ahead and send me an email for that as well chris at ActualFluency.com. So. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. And before we do, I just want to give a quick thank you to OptiLingo, who's this episode's sponsor. OptiLingo is a language learning app that focuses on preparing you for speaking, not just for reading and understanding. So if you want to try something different than all those vocabulary building apps, then give OptiLingo a try. There's a free trial available and the monthly subscription is extremely reasonable. So go to optolingo.com and check it out. All right, Jennifer, welcome to the actual fluency podcast. It's really exciting to have you and talk to you today. Do you want to start out by giving the listeners a little background to who you are, where you're from, and when you first got that interest in foreign language learning?
1: Yes, sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a delight to be here this afternoon. Um, I'm Jen Dagenhart and um, I'm a Spanish teacher. And like much of my life, it wasn't planned, but this part was when learning Spanish. Um, years ago, when I was in high school, 16 years old, I had the opportunity to travel to Bolivia as an exchange student for an entire year. And that was despite the fact that um, my mother had taken off the list you can't go here you can't go here it's not safe it's not safe and I said oh no I'm I was accepted to the program I'm going mom so um so off I went without knowing um maybe five words of Spanish because of course I studied French in school up until that point (laughs) so so I wasn't really prepared of course um but it didn't it didn't even phase me I just left and uh, arrived in Bolivia with a bunch of other student exchange students from all over the world and um, we lived with different families and by the end of the first week I was able to say hi my name is Jen I'm 16 and I'm from the United States and I considered that winning and you know just moved on from there so that's really where um, you know the the love of the language started and and I think and I'm I'm sure you will agree that just being thrown into the um, into the situation is the best way to to pick up another language.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can uh, we can get into that a little bit as well uh, later on. Uh, but you're from the sort of northern part of the U.S.
1: Yes, Connecticut. Right,
0: so up there, I guess uh, Spanish or uh, French would be the the main foreign language, or, or do you get a choice in in schools up there? Uh,
1: We do have a choice, actually, and um, I chose French for, I don't remember the reason, but um, (laughs) (laughs) nevertheless, I was ill-prepared for my trip, but um, the trip and the experience abroad really helped me um, for, for the rest of my life because I moved to different places in Connecticut, and there are a lot of Hispanic people in in the greater New York area where I live in the tri-state area and um, so it was it's become very helpful to me so I can be helpful to to these populations of people and um, I'm really glad but the funny thing is is that I did study French in um, grammar school and middle school and high school, and then went to Bolivia. And then when I went to college, I went to, to university. I went to university up in Vermont, which is even closer to the Canadian border, where French is more prevalent. So mm. I just really didn't didn't choose well or didn't, but it all seems to have worked out in the wash.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, that's what I find beautiful about languages, too, is that there's always this uh, connecting the dots backwards. You know, it might have seemed... A bit random at the time or without too much uh reason but then when you've gone through it you realize oh wow that was actually really powerful and that's done a lot for me
1: yeah isn't it great and i'm always you know i've only been to europe um a few times but um i've all i've wanted always to live there so i could move around and learn different languages it just seems to be so much um so much more possible because of the geography and um, well, I suppose you know geography and, and proximity of, of other countries and, and languages. We don't have that. Yeah, that it's much like
0: here. Uh, all you can eat. It's like an all you can eat buffet. Yes. Yeah, so yes. <laughs> it can be a little bit overwhelming too.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's um, that's nice to nice to know. Um, I did though when I was traveling uh, back through brussels once i i got to throw in my in my french at the airport and i was i was thinking i was a queen of the castle right there um that afternoon so yeah it's absolutely good time with another language always a good time
0: <laughs> yeah and i think also the the kind of joy you can bring to other people by speaking their language is uh, is a huge benefit um but uh take us back to the the first experience of going to bolivia you said you you hadn't quite prepared for the the language challenge of, of such a trip. Um, but what happened when you got there? Did you go, was there like, um, an intense kind of course you could attend, or did you just learn by doing?
1: Well, I was fortunate in that the family I stayed with, um, many of them studied at a, at a, um, at a local language school learning English and, um, so they did speak english but i implored them not to use english with me so i could um, get better with spanish while i was there and at the same um, language institute there i took spanish lessons while everyone else was coming in to take english lessons i took spanish lessons maybe i think once a week but i also went to to high school there and all of the lessons were in spanish and What was really fascinating to me at the time was that there were no textbooks at this school and for courses like history and philosophy, the teacher would stand up at the at the front of the classroom and read from the book really dictate the book to the Mm. students who would whose job it was to copy down into the notebook. Exactly what the teacher said. Well, luckily for me, Spanish is phonetic, so I was able to learn a whole heck of a lot of language that way.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And then you were there for about a a year, year, you said?
1: Yes, almost a year, about 11 months.
0: Cool. And at the end of it, you were, you know, living your life in Spanish and, uh, you know, running around talking to everyone and,
1: I was being quite conversational. I was. I, I you know, I just remember um being able to navigate my way through I lived in Cochabamba, which is, you know, a fairly large city. At the time it was four hundred thousand people. I'm sure it's much greater now <laughs> as it's been some years. But I being able to navigate my way through the city and communicate with people and it's 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 still a rush actually it really is still a rush to to travel someplace else but at that time when i was just learning and and figuring it out and you know i think too that once i started dreaming in spanish I, you know that was the coolest thing ever
0: <laughs> yeah no, foreign languages truly are like a superpower i think some people describe it that way and i i think it's true
1: i think it's true as well
0: it's uh the, it's kind of the norm for a lot of places but that doesn't really matter i think it's it's more about how you feel about it individually and and you know i think it's the greatest thing ever when you go to a place and the you know the language is completely alien to you but after a few months or maybe the next time you go suddenly things start to make sense and you can communicate and and progress that way so yeah but but then again i mean we have done like 180 episodes on the positive benefits of learning languages <laughs> right, so it's not right. like it's, I, i'm not uh i'm not gonna it's not a hard sell anyway, no it's but, not a hard. Um, not for you <laughs> but it's worth restating i think anyway and um, and i think the how to to learn it is also always interesting of course but i don't know about you but i feel like a year is a really good kind of time frame to have a lot of people set out to learn a language they say oh i want to do it in three months or six months or as fast as possible and i think that that's kind of counterproductive whereas a year seems like a a really nice length of time
1: a year was seems to, for me was a perfect time i think that when you're in a new culture that um the first few months especially if you have no language like i had no language i had french background but no spanish mm-hmm. um when I arrived, I had to acclimate first. And, and I think too, which is really important is to, is to figure out the culture, um, because you don't want to be offensive, <laughs> you know, I mean, you sure. need to be a little bit um, um, particular about how you communicate with people because, um, I think that's part of the, the language that, you know, the unspoken um, nonverbal language with people. So, so I was acclimating for the first couple of months and, and you don't really know anybody. And, and that's a human condition too. I and mean, just getting to know new people is for some people challenging. So how can you have conversation and build that trust with somebody mm-hmm. if you don't really know them? And so When I was going to school every day um, as the only blonde haired, blue eyed um, girl in the school, I, you know, I had a lot of friends because I was, you know, sort of the, you know, sort of like the Barbie doll, but not the Barbie doll looking, just the, you know, a doll looking figure. I mean, it was very interesting to me um, in that, that the other girls in the school were just enamored. And I thought I don't know what you're enamored with because I can't even speak with you, so I'm useless to you. (laughs) But we became (laughs) you
0: standing out. Yeah, yeah, we
1: became fast friends actually, and uh, they were very sweet. And was I was actually just back in touch with them um, a couple months ago. We were all on a on a Zoom chat, and um, and I was remarking that to myself that while we were speaking on the Zoom chat. I was able to understand them so so much better than I did when I was back in high school and contribute more Mm -hmm. to the conversation as a result. So that was, that was really special. Um, but the to getting back to the year's time, um, you know, trying to establish relationships with people and I was, um, is, is important. And I was really fortunate that I had that, that family that I was living with and there were a lot of them. There were, um, There were six kids and, and the set of parents that I, that I lived with. So it was, um, it was great that I could find different people to talk, talk with in Spanish and all of whom knew English, but would help me along only, only if necessary. So, Mm-hmm. So that helped in the beginning, and then then I built up the confidence. I think that's the other part of of learning language that 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 is such a benefit is that it's so confidence building confidence building in that once you have a few things in your tool belt, you can go out and use them, and the more you speak, the better you get, the better you get the more you speak. And mm, Absolutely, and um, so I was grateful for the experience to to live with a family that was um, really involved with with languages through that institute. I think uh, a couple of my uh, host sisters taught there and worked there as well, so they did know English very well.
0: Fantastic! Yeah, I think that actually that that package deal of going to place for a, for a year in a very organized uh, kind of course or curriculum but also staying with a host family Yes. that, I mean, it has to be one of the most immersive <laughs> language learning uh, kind of projects you can undertake. Um, I know that's not the only reason to do it. Of course, it's, it's, it's building a lot of other skills and experiences too, but just talking about the language, I think that's a great setup. And if, if any parents are listening, it's, it, it might be a good inspiration to maybe, you know, what you can, Send your kids off to to do, you know, language project wise or abroad, because I also think it helps build character and it's a good life experience to actually go abroad and spend some time getting to know how other parts of the world live.
1: I think that I almost, um, I almost think it should be a requirement for mm. for most young people because the the empathy that is built and um, Within a person, it happens organically because there's no, um, at least for me, you know, living in Bolivia where there's a large indigenous population, it it, it couldn't have been further from my life in suburban Connecticut, but I Mm. just embraced the whole thing. I, you know, I loved it. I love the whole, the whole thing the whole experience and i would i would do it again in a heartbeat and i think it really opened my eyes to how how i can't you know judge everything through my you know southern new england um suburban gal lens you know at 16 Mm, years old absolutely and um really helped me to see, I mean, Bolivia not being a very wealthy country either is, um, you know, in a, in a developing nation still, that, um, that's something that everyone should see. And, and if it, if um, people don't have the opportunity to, to see um, those things abroad, then perhaps they should seek those experiences out in their own countries.
0: Yeah, where, where possible, I, I totally agree with you. That would be great. Obviously, the, the costs are not insignificant for definitely going abroad. Um, I guess in Europe, you, <laughs> it's slightly cheaper because we have all those countries right around the corner. But uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're if you in the, the northern part of the US, I guess going to uh, Latin America is even quite an expense, especially for a year because then you'd have to pay full board and and, and everything, so... But um, in any case, I think it's something to aspire to, and if people have the means to uh, talking to parents again, send their kids off to do that. And I think it, it's it's a fantastic experience. Um, I uh, really wanted to do that myself when I was uh, when I was young, but I just never really found a program that um, that was uh, kind of suitable. And uh, I don't know, my parents were maybe totally on board with the idea of sending their teenage son. Uh, <laughs> across the world, but, um, which is understandable too. But, um, right,
1: right. <laughs> and, yeah, and I it's quite a
0: big step. You know, I don't but, think my uh, parents
1: really um, thought about it all that much. I mean, I was the one who said, "Well, I would like to go, I really need to go to someplace where I can learn a new language because um, that is, that was really one of my, one of my um, requirements. And, and that did that did happen. That was great, but um, and I lost my train of thought. And this is not a surprise. <laughs> that at happens, age, happens at my age. It happens. I apologize.
0: You- no worries, but it's not easy to when you go to a new uh, country, especially outside an organized school program. It can be quite difficult to ac- uh, acclimatize. That's a hard word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Adjust oh, to the no, acclimate,
1: uh, acclimate. I think it's- Acclimate, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, in any case, it's it's hard to adjust uh, to living abroad. And I think that that's part of the reason that a year sounds like a long time. But actually, when you get there, you realize okay, you have to make a social circle. You have to, you know, you have, probably have to deal with the go- local government in some way, bureaucracy, paperwork, uh, you know, all, all kinds of headaches that you maybe didn't anticipate. And then on top of it, you're also like, oh, I'm also learning this brand new language. Um, so I think it it's actually, I, I'm not even sure if it's easier, quote unquote, to learn a language going abroad than it is doing it at home. I think there are a lot of benefits and a lot of, let's say, input that you can get from being in the country. But the pressure on you is also a lot higher and you're in a completely foreign environment. So unless you're very extroverted, it will take you a long time to kind of start speaking, as you mentioned, get the confidence. Um, so I guess the ideal scenario will be some kind of hybrid where you you know you're going in, let's say, 6 to 12 months. So you start learning at home and get some of the basics and maybe get to a little beginner level where you can actually speak a little bit. And then when you get there, you sort of build on that and and, and quickly accelerate the
1: Yes, that would have been ideal for me. I should have done that ahead (laughs) of time. And I think I maybe had a couple of months, but I, you know, I threw caution to the wind. I was 16 and thought I was invincible. So I said, I'll just show up and it'll work out. And I mean, it happened that it did work out and but it and it really was a great time i remember just when you said um having to deal with the local bureaucracy i had my passport stolen while i was in bolivia at 16 years old and um so i did have to deal with the the local bureaucracy and i had to do that all myself in in spanish so Mm. um I even had to skip school because, you know, the, in the family I stayed with, they were very strict about going to school, but I, I had to go to the consulate and, and renew my passport or do something. And, um, and I had to skip school to do it. So it was, it was, it was very, um, exciting for me to learn all of these new lessons and, and just sort of figure all that stuff out.
0: Mm. And of course, you, um... Did you? And of course, after that, you, you eventually uh, became a teacher yourself. So, what sparked that kind of interest? Did you know you wanted to do teaching before that trip, or before in your life, or did that? Did you get to that point later on?
1: Oh, oh, Chris, you're funny. Thinking that I actually had a plan. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have a plan at all. In, and and um, in fact, when I was at university they said, well, you need to declare a major, you know, what, what are you going to study? And, you know, I had no idea, you know, I liked language. <laughs> and this was two years in out of a four-year program. And they said, well, you need to tell us what it is. We need to put something on the, on the paper, on your, on your transcript. And, and I said, I just looked at my advisor and I said, well, what do I have the most credits in? And, he looked at the the paper and counted it up. He says, Spanish. I said, put that down. That'll be fine. (laughs) So so really, that's how my Spanish, um, you know, major came about. And then I double majored in Latin American studies. I do. I love Latin America. I I love everything about it. And um, and from there, you know, then Okay, then then I was good for another two years until I graduated, and then I had to find a job, and something to do, <laughs> and I didn't really know. But both of my um, parents are teachers, and um, or they were teachers; they're both retired, and so I thought, well, I can. They like their job. I'm sure that I will like it too, and that's how really how that part of my career took off was. Was just following, and you know, in the family biz.
0: Nice, nice. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great business if you like languages for sure. Absolutely. Um, So, tell us about your experience uh, entering the uh, the American school system as a as a teacher. Um, What kind of experiences was that? And did you have a very strict curriculum, or was it a lot of freedom for the teacher to to design the lessons? Or how was that?
1: when i started teaching um it was it was a um much more a much freer atmosphere for teachers and there was not a, this top down you know curriculum there there was a curriculum that had to be taught and you know and you must cover this material by a certain amount of time and okay. um and it became more and more of a science and less of an art until the until the point, you know, four or five years ago that it just wasn't working for me, you know, just um, in that way, you know, I don't want to have to check off on a rubric or, you know, adhere to this standard and that standard. I know when the students are getting the language I and I can see it in their eyes and I know That they are liking it if they're happy in my class and um you know that's all well and good for all the you know the feel good people of the world but not for um for education here in the united states they really want um outcomes to be measurable and um as a person who who teaches the whole student I can tell, but how do I measure that? I don't know, and I I never really got on board with all of those rubric Mm. things, and it started to stress me out a lot. So, I was able to change uh, my career to teaching college, which is or university, um, which is a lot more a lot more free, and it's it's fun to see
0: that. (laughs) But why um, is that? Because. Yeah, why would that be? Actually, is there a particular reason that, that it's more freeing in college level?
1: I think um, that the um, administration, when when where I teach, um, th- they they they're not hovering and they're not saying that students must have this particular um, you know uh, bulk of content in this particular way and in order to have um in order to you know graduate you know these sorts in in that sort of way that they need to know Mm -hmm. this amount of vocabulary because what i have done you know there's this comprehensible input and and i'm not really a pedagogue by any means or a methodologist but i have found that you know, teaching teaching the whole language all together and then, you know, letting the grammar come in naturally and, and not really stressing about um, perfection because in learning a language, I mean, that is not the way we learned language as, you know, as babies. Mm. Um, I remember, I just, this is an example all the time that I give to my students. How many times did you tell your parents, Mom, I brought home my books from school.
0: Yes. And exactly.
1: And your your mom didn't say to you, "Okay, well, you know what? You made a grammatical error. You're not going to get any dinner." Um it wasn't like that. And I you know, just because that humans who are learning language at later time in their lives it should be the same, the same process. I mean, for the first, however long it takes and for each individual, Mm. it's however long it takes. Um, of course, that person should have the ability to make mistakes, correct them, make mistakes, correct them. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with other English speakers that you know, that mistakes are made all the time, even with people who are native speakers. And so, I like to try to take the pressure off of um, of my poor students who are really taking this as a requirement, although most tell me that they really want to learn how to speak Spanish. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great. They've got the right goal in mind, at least. Uh, I, I think that the failure of the school system, in terms of languages, is the biggest collective problem we have with language learning. Really, because if there were better language, intuition in general, then everything would be so much different. But because of the, the fundamental miscategorization of languages as a science, i.e. they teach languages like uh, math. Yes. In most, most schools anyway. I mean, I know there are some superstar teachers out there who, who mix it up and try to try to change the the kind of status quo. But th- I think the, the sad fact of the matter is that for ninety percent of the language experience is like memorization, rote memorization. And even, and this is probably the the weirdest thing, is you can have people who go to extremely amazing universities like Oxford or Cambridge or uh, whatever the U.S. equivalent of that might be, um, and they do a four-year degree in a language and they can't have a conversation in it after it. But they can read, uh, you know, classic literature or, uh, you know, have good working knowledge of the language to a really high level and probably grammatically correct in their writing too but ask them how was your weekend they're like they go completely blank (laughs) Uh, that's crazy It,
1: it is crazy and and what good is that going to do like we were talking about before um before you pressed record we were talking about how how that helps with interpersonal relationships, even knowing just a little bit of another language. And that is really what I want to um, impart upon my students is that pay attention to people. That when you're learning a language and they're learning a language, it's more like a game than anything else. I mean, just try to figure it out. You toss out something. If they don't understand, it's their responsibility to let you know that they didn't understand. And, and vice versa and back and forth. And, and it can be like a tennis match. Yeah. Um, I think it's, a, I think it's a big game, but, and I like to, I agree. to, um, to let them know that, that, you know, it's, it's not life or death. You know, we don't have, we're not having a, uh, you know, unless it's a situation where it's life and death, I suppose that that's a, a different situation <laughs> altogether, but, but really it should be a lot of fun and it's more like a puzzle than anything else.
0: Yeah, and I think on uh, un- unlike uh, actual uh, jigsaw puzzles, where the most enjoyment probably comes when you put that last piece down, I think in languages the the beauty of it is that we can enjoy from day one. You know, the the first word you say to a native speaker, and they, you know, give you a smile. That is just as powerful as when you reach day three hundred and sixty five, and you can suddenly have full conversations with that native speaker. Um, I think, and that's why I, that's what I try to kind of tell people who maybe they're not, you know, super into the whole uh, language learning. Maybe they don't listen to podcasts like this one and read like how to about methods and apps and things. But they have this desire to, oh, I want to learn Spanish or I want to learn French, and I just say, you know, just start, and the the kind of benefits are going to come from from day one. And don't put pressure on yourself to have to learn the whole language because I think that's what people. Get stuck as they they see the mountain in front of them and they think, "Oh, languages are useless unless I know, you know, unless I'm totally fluent in it."
1: Yeah, I and and for those teachers too who who are giving these um, interminable lists of vocabulary, um, that that's fine. I I give vocabulary you know through with the books that I use. That I've written, I give vocabulary that they might not know. I said, but pick the ones you want to use, pick what's useful to you. Um, if you don't need to know what a scythe is, don't learn that word. And by the way, I don't know what it is in Spanish either. I don't know where, where I came up with that word, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, make it, make it doable. You know, and I tell my students too, if you, if you can have a, a full on conversation with me with 50 words, you know, all the power to you and, and circumlocute and, and, and figure it out. And, and they, and they do. I love that when they tell me, Oh, of course I can't think of any examples right now, but they, they try to explain something to me in Spanish. And um, if it's, you know, with a, a topic that we're talking about, I can figure it out. It's the best. It's, it's the most fun ever. And it's so fun for me. So I, you know, it must be great for them as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what, Usually lays the foundation for for mastery, right? Is that you get those initial feelings of victory, feelings of winning, and getting that motivation to keep going to the point where you get to a let's say higher conversational level. Um, but it has to be relevant, and I think the a, another flaw of the school systems in general is that let's say you take the let's take the verb conjugations for example. I remember in German classes in school that we would go through them all like a song, you know. But the fact of the matter is that when you're a beginner in the language, you generally use only two, uh, two kind of versions of them anyway. Right. You say you say I do, and you say you do mm-hmm. usually, and then a rare occasion it could be we or they or whatever. But why is it that we're going through those in a kind of a table? pretending that they have the same usage rates you know i don't understand who came up with that because when you're a beginner i think 90 percent of your sentences probably start with i or me you know um so that should be the the main focus and and then maybe you or the polite form of you would be the the one to learn but you know I, I don't know how often you need to say they i mean it's not that urgent i find <laughs>
1: no and and i tell m- my students you know first the first person i some of them do appreciate the verb chart just as a visual cuz I, I you know i work with a lot of students who have have issues with learning in general and if they can see a pattern sometimes it helps but i don't make a requirement and i'm not you know i don't tell them if they, if they misconjugate a verb, you know, they still get the credit. I mean, just let's press on. You, you got the, your idea across, yeah. But, um, but I say, you know, the first person, you, you're number one. And then um, <laughs> yeah, talking so. to, that's how you have a conversation with somebody. And I said, my favorite is the third person where you can talk about people, just a little bit of gossip. Right. And, um, you know, and they aspire to that. To, to gossip because who doesn't like to gossip and we just you know, yeah. were using it as a joke.
0: Indeed. Well, that's true. And, and the more you can relate the language skills to what people are doing or the students are doing in their native language, I think that the more uptake you get as well, the more people actually start using it and then and, and, uh, and apply it to Spanish or, or the other languages that they're learning.
1: Yes. I think it's a, it's, it is a great, it's a great skill to have.
0: Definitely. And what, what other changes have you made? So you talked about, you know, kind of changing the game, but, um, how was that process? Was it a a gradual process or did you just one day say, I'm, I'm done with this, uh, with these dusty old textbooks that talk about 40 species of birds and things like that?
1: (laughs) Well, actually, um, Back when I was teaching secondary school here, I um, I had the pleasure and the honor of teaching two whole classes worth of students who had these um, speech language issues, and um, you know, and were not able to because of their scheduling, not able to um, be in class in Spanish class until high school, until secondary school, and. Um, and we were going through the textbook type of thing, and and it was horrible. It was horrible, only covering little bits of information and talking about school supplies. Well, I don't ever want to talk about school supplies ever again, <laughs> because right. it's boring. And after, I think, four months of this, I looked at them, and I said, this is not working, is it? And they looked at me with blank stares, and I said, i got to think of something else, because you know, we're, we're just going to perish in here in, in this class. And so I went home and that's when I started writing the books. I said, maybe a story, maybe they'll like a story. There were some other short stories at their level, but I knew that they would, um, laugh them out of the park. So I, I wanted to find something that was relevant to them and, and that included elements of their life. So, um, I went home and in a week wrote the story La Chica Nueva and and gave it to them chapter by chapter because I I didn't know that I wasn't even thinking about publishing and I just wanted to have a vehicle for these particular students. Well, I was so surprised they were they bought in. They loved it. They loved the characters. And um, and right then and there, I dispensed with uh, teaching any kind of grammar.
0: <laughs> right yeah well it should be in context anyway because i i mean a language just remembering back to my german times as well it's, it's you, german you have all these like weird conjugations of the the pronouns and the uh, the articles and the um and the the endings of words as well and you if you're speaking to someone you do, you you don't have time to go through <laughs> all the options in your head right? to match the correct grammar options so the way to actually learn grammar is not the table is to hear that version being used in a in context so i think the idea of of not teaching grammar is perfect because it should be you should get grammar through the context of what you're learning
1: i think so especially too. for
0: languages that aren't that's grammar heavy it's it'll be easier of course, German is a bit of an outlier. It's, all, it's very there's a lot of grammar there, but <laughs> it's also not so critical uh, in understanding. If you go to, let's say Russian, for example, you have grammar cases that are they break the meaning if you don't get them right. A lot of the Germans don't really, unless in oh. very kind of specific examples. You know, if you use if you use the wrong case in German, it's usually totally understandable anyway, and you have the double. The cases are shown at the end of a word, but they're also shown in the article, so it's you don't really need both anyway. So if you say oh, one true. wrong and the other one. well, Yeah, it's it's not as bad. A lot of people get scared of German grammar, and it is there's a lot of it, but I would say it's very rare that using the wrong uh, case or anything breaks the... Or gender even, you know, always have three genders. Um, it's very rare that it breaks the understanding of the sentence, uh, unless you have very that's a classic example, very specific examples. Like if you say the sentence, the dog bit the man. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you used to, if you use the wrong pronouns in, in German, then you can obviously make it as, as if the man bit the dog, but even then that German would understand what you're trying to say. They would understand that it's not a, it's not a man trying to bite, uh, bite a dog. Right. Um, you know,
1: exactly. And I think that, that with that, um, that, there are more sympathetic listeners in the world than people who are learning languages um, realize that, that we, we are sympathetic listeners and, and we need to be, everyone does um, because we, we should both have the same goal, which is to survive the conversation and and, um, understand each other. And and I'm not just, I'm not, I'm talking about that in a global aspect, but also, you know, just the understanding of what's going on. Can we get from point A to point B in the conversation? So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, the language is a means of communicating, communicating with other people. And of course, if you can learn languages for all kinds of reasons, but I think for 99% of people listening to this, that will be their intended goal. Some people I know might want to read the complete works of Dostoevsky in Russian. Fine, <laughs> that's a different kind of goal. Right. Um, you know, it, and something that I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with. It's just, I would say the vast, vast majority of people listening are interested in communication. And if the, if that's your goal, then it takes a lot of the pressure off to be perfect because that's another problem that the students often face is this idea that before I open my mouth I need to know exactly what's correct and the problem is of course that you will never know what's correct until you reach an extremely high level so the idea that you're in the beginner stages of Spanish have any sense of what's right or wrong is a a kind of a a silly non-starter anyway Um, so inspiring that kind of confidence is is really important but um, how did you build the story Um, so I, I think all of us can imagine a story uh, being extremely useful in the classroom, but how did you make sure that it was at a level where the students could kind of follow along and and get something out of it and and learn? Uh, Did you use like a a frequency dictionary to help you out or or how how did you build that initially?
1: I didn't. In fact, I have tossed aside all rules. I'm not a a rule follower by any stroke of the imagination and um, I I kept the language very simple and used as many cognates as I could, um, as I could find and, and told the story. Well, actually I, I gathered together all of the information that I was supposed to be teaching from the textbook. And I put, I put that all in there somehow, you know, the, the days of the week, the seasons, you know, all of this stuff mm. with the non sequitur stuff, um, you know, taught in little capsules that, that don't really help it, you know, improve the conversation unless, um, you're only talking about, you know, the weather and the seasons. So I put <laughs> right. that in there and the, in the first, um, I think the first chapter had to do with likes and dislikes and introducing yourself. And so I introduced the characters that way, you know, there was, I usually write, um, my books with, uh, you know, alternating chapters of different characters. I do that, I think because I get bored, so um, I'm thinking that maybe students get bored too, and I also figure that I can attract more readers that way. So if there's, you know, if there's a story with um, a guy and a girl, or an adult and a child, that maybe, you know, if an adult reader's not too keen on reading about the the kid, that they'll stay in it to figure out what's going on, you know, as far as the adult is concerned, and vice versa. But I just it really was pretty organic (laughs) how it came together. And I said, Oh, well they can go there and, Oh, we have to talk about school supplies. That's where we left off. Believe me, we, we blew through those chapters because I didn't want to talk about school supplies. Um, But so I made the, um, the story start right before the school year started. So they would have to go buy their school supplies at, um, Uh at the uh, the stationery store. And and then took them through a year of of school, which um, you know students can r- relate to always, and um, and and that seemed to work out. And of course, I threw in uh, you know some drama, some teenage drama, because that is always good for a story. Of course, and yeah. um, and a little love story. You know, nothing untoward. Not even there's not even any hand holding, but you know just some dancing and stuff like that. And, and the students really, they really liked it. And, and one girl who was particularly um, ornery in my class said, hey, Profe, what's going to happen next? And I said, "Well, you're going to have to wait <coughs> to find out. And, and I went home. I was never so happy in my life that she was buying in. She says, oh, I uh-huh. like this. I said, so now you have to
0: write the, the, the continuation. Yes,
1: I, the many students have told me that. And <laughs> and I, I haven't come up with a great idea because, you know, quite honestly, I, I I like the story. It's my first literary child, but it's not my favorite one. <laughs> right. So to have to go back to those characters, I don't know what else I would say.
0: Right. <laughs> Well, is you just have maybe ask the students what do you think it's going to go and then yeah, how about use some you? of the best ideas.
1: How about you guys write the story?
0: <laughs> yeah, well that that would be for your advanced class of course, you know. Right. You go from beginner to intermediate and then okay, now you have to produce some some writing and you can kind of crowdsource the story that way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Use use Except what that my disposal. Level
0: yeah exactly um have, yeah i'm sure there are some students in the class that are that are some top star students who could help you uh get to the sequel and you know maybe you can have like a, a trilogy and a, you know the seven potter cool.
1: i'll be right be up there with there. jk rowling chris right
0: i, I was just <laughs> thinking yeah that would be a great uh you know you can sell a million books and, and things like that but that uh, no but how many how many books are you up to now and, and uh, you said uh, you said they're for Spanish uh, any other languages you're you're branching into
1: yes I have um, um about 17 or 18 original stories right now and some of them have been translated to French some to English for English learners and also for elementary students and um, a couple of titles actually the second German title is on the way the first. German title is out there already. Um, I'm going to butcher the title, but it's drei Freunde.
0: Okay, yeah, three friends. Three
1: friends. Okay, yay! I said it right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that story I have in all languages because that was um the first uh book of this kind, so I'm told, independently published um with uh, gay characters in it, and so um you know I'm really proud that. That I was able to tell a, um, you know, a very I like the story myself, a heartwarming story, you know, just with some um, characters that are not often represented. Mm-hmm. It, That's also
0: part of uh, education, you know. Uh, they call it, uh, you know, the growth of characters is part of education, and I think uh, kind of a, a look into other people's lives and other types of people that maybe you don't. Relate directly to. I think that's also a good, good part of education. Generally, getting some perspective.
1: I th- it's it's the best kind. Again, talking about that empathy and 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 you know and and I there's a there's a theory out there. I think by um, um, a woman uh, whose name, of course, I can't remember. But she talks about um, and I'm not good like that either. You know, so I'm not a rules girl, and I I don't remember just you know, random things that I should know. Um, the theory of windows, um, mirrors and sliding glass doors, you know, being able to see yourself in literature, seeing how other people live in literature and, um, you know, going through and to experience, you know, how others may live and, and exist in the world. And I, I just think that's really important. And so I, I, really strive to to have characters from different underrepresented populations and just so so kids can see themselves a lot of my books well the Spanish books most of the um most of them have Hispanic characters because even for the um you know the second generation students here whose parents may have immigrated to the United States from um Latin American countries for them to see themselves I think is really important and that so that they're seen here as well and in, in literature. And I, and I know I'm not writing from that perspective myself because I'm, I'm not Hispanic, I'm, I'm not a heritage speaker or anything like that, but um, just to, to give credence to, to their experience and their cultures and, um, and, and their representation
0: yeah exactly and i think i mean that's a topic for uh, that we could fill a podcast with the heritage uh, question and i think a a country like the us is a perfect example of a a place where connect reconnecting with your roots is 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 very important for people people's identities and and individuals but it's also i think it's it's about making it fully transparent that there's nothing like you don't have to hide that part of yourself, you know, that awful kind of, of past. That a lot of uh, laws were made, a lot of um, you know, a lot of pressure from society to speak only English in in public. And you know, I I have uh, been to the there's a Danish town in Iowa, uh, just as an example. I know there are a lot of uh, the same for uh, for all the European languages, basically going back to the the big immigration in, in the beginning of the nineteen uh, 19- uh, 1900. Uh, so, I think that the idea that let's say the govern the governor of a state says, "Oh, you can only speak English in churches," or you know, it could be less direct pressure as well. But what it does, it it eventually squeezes out the heritage, and I think that a lot of people would like to reconnect with that, even if just for a personal uh, personal reasons. But I also think it would be hugely beneficial to society, and and especially if if you can get people without that heritage to also be a little bit curious about it. And, you know, if I, I I have, I'm sure I have, if you go back far enough, I guess uh, I have ancestors who live in, uh, or uh, descendants of ancestors who live in, in America now, in the Danish villages and and whatever, but um, wouldn't it be fun if they, they could speak a few words and were connect with a German friend of theirs or whatever. I think that that's part of the, what you talked about in terms of the empathy and, and building of character. So it'd be great to do more on, on heritage stuff. And I definitely want to do that for Danish. I want to come over and run some workshops and some lessons, some free lessons and things, see if I can contribute positively a little bit there.
1: I th- that would be fantastic. And and I, I know that people would, would love that opportunity as well. And um, to spark that curiosity, you brought up that word curiosity and, and i think that if more people were curious too it would um it would allow those heritage uh folks to to really um embrace embrace their heritage and embrace their language and um and have more pride in it as as well they should um as Absolutely. as someone who's you know a, i don't know maybe fourth or fifth generation um you know, here already in the in the US, you know, I I don't have that great connection to any particular culture. And I wish that I did. So we should be more um, we should be celebrating more of those cultures and those heritages here that are here in the US or, or, or in whatever country, you know, if they have immigrated to such country. I I know that there's a, a lot of Turks in Germany and, and, and things like that. So
0: Yeah. It's a it's a global thing for sure. Yeah. I think the but it's also about the parents because I, there's a completely innocent uh, you know start to this often where parents uh, you know first generation are, will be encouraging their kids to speak the local language way more than the home language uh, because they feel this idea that it will benefit the child more. Of course, we know now that that's nonsense. It doesn't work like that. Kids can easily. Switch between languages and it won't harm their development or that you know they're not going to speak English with a funny accent or anything um right. not that there's anything wrong with that fundamentally, but I can understand why parents would like to they they think they're doing the best for their kid right so there's nothing there's nothing flawed about that ideology it's just in practice unfortunately it leads to uh, the heritage heritage languages dying out because it's just less and less used like how many have you talked to who who heard that? Oh, I spoke a few a few words with my grandmother, but by the time, you know, I was curious about language, my parents didn't speak it to me. Right. You know, it, it just dies there because so many. Yeah.
1: And, and yeah, I hear
0: it so much. Yeah, and and crazy. the people
1: that that um, that are that that kills me so much not kills me but um, when they say, "Oh, I I used to be able to understand everything that my grandmother said to me," and I. I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't you just say something back? Well, I was, you know, <laughs> It's so I, quick. Yeah, no, a friend it's of mine so just quick. told me the other the other day. Oh, well, I was afraid that I was going to make a mistake. And, <laughs> well, and I said with your own father? Who cares? We're back. Yeah.
0: We're back. But but it it's it, it, literally how quick it was, you know. If you go back to the uh, to the Danish villages, which is what I know a little bit about the history of, and you go back to 19 19- 30, 1940, Every single day, everyone would have been speaking Danish to each other. Mm-hmm. There would be probably there would probably be no English internally. Most of the like for ninety nine percent of people there. So all it takes is like two generations and a few laws that maybe work against you. Like for instance, no no uh, or only English in churches because that's obviously a big right. gathering point back then. So you're already splitting apart their identity by kind of restricting their religious freedoms in a way. I mean, it's this kind of similar religion, but
1: absolutely to I agree.
0: practice it. Um, you know, that's how fast it is. And and you see that all the time now. And that it's just a shame that, that it's not more common to, to, to pass on the, the language, but you know, that's part of the, the kind of the mission that we have here in the podcast and part of the, the joy of of spreading awareness about language learning and inspiring people that it's not, it's not as difficult as as, uh, your early school years might indicate and just give it a go. And I think if, if, if more parents, if more language learners uh, who are also parents uh, are excited about it, then their kids will be too. You know, we, we pass on our, our our hobbies and our interests to our kids. So hopefully that's a, it will mark kind of a turning point in that sense, but Obviously, a lot of the damage has been done, and I'm thinking a lot about the u s because uh, it's a it's such a well known example of mass immigration and uh, a melting pot of cultures, you know.
1: I think too that um you know we were talking about how language was taught, and you know I'm, I'm a middle aged woman I'm not not shy to say that i'm fifty two and back when I was learning language, it was um you know it was it was that rote that you were talking about you know listen to this repeat it and which was helpful to no one and um a lot of uh people my age you know contemporaries tell me that they can't help their kids because I don't remember anything it was such a horrible experience and um and so that they were turned off by that and I'm hoping the tide is changing a little bit in the sense that that it's it's more being involved with the language to acquire instead of use the language now instead of learn about it, and yeah, um, that's it. And and that's I think that's that would be helpful for everyone, you know. But we have to get we have to get everybody on board, you know, so we can uh, you know dispense with the the older ways of teaching. Not saying that they're bad. I'm just that they're not they're not useful any, any longer.
0: I think they're pretty terrible. I'm, okay, I'm confident okay. enough to say.
1: <laughs> okay, right. I was trying <laughs> to be politically correct.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's no, no time for that. I, I think the, the, the old way of teaching languages is just so bad. It's, it's, it's horrible. Uh, the, the, the reason that they do it is because They conform to tests, of course. Of course. So, of course. You prepare prepare the students to pass tests. And by the way, this is also a a common reaction I get a lot when people share their school language learning experience. They say, Oh, I got an A in in Spanish, but I couldn't speak with my Spanish speaking friend. I'm like, Well, how on earth do you get an A then? To me, that's a complete failure.
1: Yes. (laughs) I agree.
0: Obviously. It's because they, I mean, it would be like C minus, 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 or F minus, minus, whatever the lowest grade is. <laughs>
1: I always say, um, I always say oh, I'm going to give you a Q.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, whatever the lowest is you can give, definitely give it. Because to me that, and, and the problem is we kind of, that gets celebrated. Oh, you got an A in Spanish. Great. You passed the, the exam. You know some things about the language, but you can't say anything. I mean, that's like rewarding failure. And putting, you're basically putting the goalposts at exactly the wrong place. like so, so, I think we, we, but, but we are seeing some kind of a revolution, I think. There is kind of grassroots movements, and you know the more that podcasts like this and other content creators, other podcasts, other YouTubers and bloggers, the more they share that message that the old way is terrible, the more of a move we're going to see in the right direction, I think. And I think it's probably a lot better today than it was 20 years ago. So, you know, baby steps, baby, baby steps, step,
1: baby steps, absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Jennifer, really, thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing your experiences with us. Um, do you want to give people just maybe a, a one one place they can come and find out more about you?
1: Um, yes, I would love to. Um give you all the new website that I'm just launching within the next six hours. I think um, it's called digilangua.co and has all of my books and Teresa Marama's books. Um, there digitally and with awesome audio. So that's nice. coming! you love
0: audio of course. So you say digi, D I G I.
1: Yes. Langua L A N G U A.
0: We'll put that in the description, and uh, you know, all the best with your students and taking on the the dinosaurs of the educational uh, <laughs> educational industry, and uh, and all the best with your with your future books and uh, publications.
1: Well, thank you so much, Chris. It was really a pleasure to speak with you this afternoon.